Blighty Thank God is based on the diary our family discovered my late father, Ron Chapman, wrote in 1943 when he was a young RAF pilot serving in the Middle East and Italy. In this grave hour... I'm Neil Chapman and a former journalist. The podcast highlights the stories I uncovered when I researched his diary, along with other historical sources. Flying around the Gulf region presented challenges for the RAF during World War II, especially when their aircraft crashed in remote or often inhospitable areas. If a crew survived the crash... There were plenty of other dangers. Searing heat, freezing nights and a lack of water. During April and May of 1943, my father was called upon to help salvage two aircraft that had crash-landed in different parts of the region. One very real danger faced by aircrew could be from the local population who might not be friendly towards the British, especially if they were survivors of a crash. So my father and aircrew were given a piece of paper called a ghoulie chit. His diary entry is read by grandson Phil. February 26. Sat in naffy and drank tea. Got paid £5. Had more tea and then went to office. Was issued with compass, emergency rations and new ghoulie chit. A ghoulie chit was issued to aircrew based at RAF Habania, where my father was stationed. The chit was about the size of a postcard. On one side was a photo of King George VI, on the other, King Faisal of Iraq, and also the Shah of Persia, now Iran. Here's what was written on it in different languages. The bearer of this chit is a true and valued Ascari of the great king, and all the lesser rulers shown. He must be treated with the greatest respect and given all the care necessary for his welfare. He should be safely escorted to the nearest ruler shown in the photograph. The finder will then be awarded a bag of gold for his conduct. Thanks be to Allah. It got its name because it was supposedly to protect injured British servicemen found by tribesmen from being castrated because they were non-believers. Our family also believes my father carried some gold with him, given by his mother in case he needed to barter his way out of any trouble. The British and the RAF were guests in the Gulf region. Treaties called for minimum contact between British servicemen and native Arabs. So when a plane crashed, or made an emergency landing, a too frequent occurrence, the airmen relied on a mix of good luck, goodwill, and their ghoulie shit, with its promise of gold, to remain safe. A month after getting his new chit, my father learned he was to help rescue a Bisley aircraft that had made an emergency landing on a small, flat, featureless island just off the east coast of Saudi Arabia. Gina Island 
which is about three and a half kilometres long and one and a half kilometres wide. March 25th. I am to go on trip to Jinnah Island in the Gulf to salvage a bisley. Take a vow. Landing ground is 500 by 600 and will probably be away about two weeks or more. Wizzo. Jinnah is surrounded by very shallow water, about four foot deep. The operation, my father described, would involve ferrying a team of technicians out of the nearest RAF base at Bahrain to this dot of an island that had no runway or landing strip. It was a 90-minute flight each way. He would be piloting a Vickers Valencia, or a Val, as it was called, a plane that resembles a World War I relic, with an open cockpit and the propellers roaring only feet from the pilot. To start a Val usually took three men grasping a rope attached to a leather bag that fitted over one of the propeller tips. On the yell, go, they ran like hell, pulling each other and the rope, which swung the propellers. It could take several goes and some lost skin before they could get both the engines sparked into life. I asked pilot Gary Pottage about the challenges my father faced trying to land safely on such a small island and then take off again. Well, the island was a very unknown quantity. You're looking at the the length of the landing area. You're looking at the surface-bearing capability of it. You know, is it really soft sand? Are there sharp obstacles in it? Soft sand would be quite draggy on the undercarriage, on 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 the wheels as such. Is it slopey? Is it into wind? A lot of it would be unknown, and, and one of the ways you can um, kind of mitigate some of the risk is by doing a low fly pass and having a look at what you're going to land on. Of course, you never know until you actually touch down. The Bisley aircraft belonged to 244 Squadron, which patrolled the Arabian Gulf and Gulf of Oman for enemy submarines and for protecting the convoys that came in and out of southern Iraq and Iran. The Bisley itself was notorious for crashing and had an appalling record. One Blighty Thank God episode deals with the Bisley in more detail. This particular aircraft had been parked on Gina Island since January 1943, and the salvage team's first visit to Gina was April the 4th. Got up 7.30am, went to Drome and took off for Gina. Bisley has eight duff cylinders port and four starboard. Made tea and cooked grub for the boys, watched by the locals. Cleaned up and packed and took off at 5pm. Put cream on my sunburn. I was running around the island with no shirt on during the morning and sun was hotter than I thought. Island is all sand and has a tiny village on it. Also about five trees, that's all. How the natives exist beats me. Sun protection wasn't issued. Getting sunburned wasn't uncommon. But reporting sick with it was a chargeable offence. It was regarded as a self-inflicted injury. It took another seven more trips to the tiny island until the plane was finally able to fly off. But before it could, there was one last scary landing. May 7th, up at 6.30am. Did a landing 90 degrees out of wind 20 to 30 miles per hour and boy what a landing. Shot over a ridge, was airborne and down again. Mac got off. Bags of smoke pouring from starboard engine. Piloting the Bisley, Flight Officer Mac McDonald disappeared in a trail of smoke, 
with reduced engine power heading north, hoping to reach RAF Shaiba in southern Iraq. He didn't. The plane limped its way to an emergency landing in Kuwait, where both engines cut out. By now, it was mid-May, and my father had been away from his home base far longer than the original planned two weeks. Nevertheless, he had already been assigned to another 244 Squadron Bisley rescue job. This time he'd be flying out from, and also hanging out, at RAF Sharjah, just as the muggy heat, monsoon winds and mosquitoes were getting worse. But instead of landing on a small island, the challenge would be overflying the imposing Al-Hajjah Mountains between Sharjah and Oman, then diving down to the narrow strip of coast where the RAF emergency landing ground at Sheenus was located and where the stricken plane was. For the Allies, Oman was strategically important during the war in order to defend and protect trade and military supply routes passing through the Gulf of Oman. 244 Squadron's Bisley BA430 had been following one of the standard patrol patterns 244 planes flew over the Arabian Gulf and Gulf of Oman. These patterns were known as Cork Patrol, Screw Patrol and Stronghold Patrol. Journeys would cover up to 700 nautical miles, or about 1,200 kilometres, per patrol. But on April 30th, 1943, the plane force landed at Sheenus in Oman, having lost one of its two propellers. Fortunately, the three Bisley crew received help from the local sheikh of Sheenus. They were then picked up by an Indian Navy minesweeper at first light on May the 2nd, returning them to Sharjah, where they were based. My father took off in the Valentia from Sharjah for Sheenus on May the 12th, twice, loaded up with equipment, fitters and fuel. May 12th. Up at 4.30am and after a lot of farting about, got off at 8am and headed for Shinnis over hills. Val engines were overheating and it wouldn't climb. Viz bloody grim. Hazy. Wing commander said go round coast. Viz poor and boy the cliffs rise straight up from the sea to a thousand feet and higher. Sea hellish deep up to cliffs. Got round point and into mist. Had to come back. Wasted four hours ten minutes. We were a thousand pounds overweight. It turns out that on his first attempt, my father was battling to gain height, to fly over the mountain range, as well as poor visibility. Some of the mountains were above the plane's effective flying height, so crashing into the side of one, covered by mist, was a very real risk. On the next attempt, along the rugged coast, it turns out the plane was carrying too much, as much weight as the Valentia weighed itself. I asked pilot Gary Pottage his take on struggles my father faced piloting the Valencia plane between Sharjah and Sheenas. The temperature is very hot, so, so that affects how much thrust the engines can produce, how much power they can produce, how much thrust the propellers can produce, and how much lift you can get off the wings. So that the hotter it is, the more difficult it is for the aircraft to get airborne. The, the rate of climb and what's referred to nowadays as a service ceiling, so, so the maximum altitude that aircraft can safely fly at 
would both be very much affected by temperature as well as payload. And payload includes what you're carrying as well as any crew you have on board and fuel. So if you've got a long way to go, you're going to have to carry a lot of fuel to sacrifice on payload. And with the high temperatures, it all has a, a really negative effect on the aircraft's capability. Overloading the aircraft is going to affect its rate of climb and its ceiling again. So you know, clearing those mountains might be an issue. Flying the salvage team, spares and equipment proved too difficult. They eventually travelled around the coast from Sharjah to Amman in an Arab Dow boat. Once the plane was repaired, my father flew to Sheenus at the end of May to thank and reward the Sheikh of Sheenus for all his help. May 29th. Went through pass to Sheenus. Not so hot dodging the hills with ropey viz. Got there okay and delivered the goods. Port engine on Bisley is okay. I took Sheik and his father and a few more for a flip. Went to his palace and had coffee and dates. The old Sheik loves flying. As well as a joy ride in the plane, the Sheik asked for, and received, some cash, bags of rice, wheat, sugar, and bicycle tyres with inner tubes. Of course, these expenditures had to be accounted for. A year later, when the RAF was reckoning up the books, one of the clerks thought the Sheik had been paid twice. In fact, another Bisley had crashed in the meantime, and so there were double the expenses. But a potential mistaken overpayment of £3 to the Sheikh had to be referred up to the Air Ministry in the UK for clearance. My father only flew the notorious Bisley the once. It carried too much weight for its engine power. He didn't have to use his ghoulie chit either but I'm sure he was aware of the rumour amongst the servicemen that any man with red hair found by Bedouin, desert-living Arab nomads, would be taken to the tribe's women to encourage coupling in the hope that a red-headed son would result. It's based on the belief that the Prophet Muhammad had red hair. Just his luck, my father had black hair. find maps, photographs and other material associated with each episode as well as the complete diary with my research notes, visit the website blightythankgod.co.uk The diary extracts are read by Ron Chapman's eight grandchildren. He'd be proud of all of them. <laughs>